and have a seat. We've only got one goal this morning, and that goal is just to make a big deal out of Jesus, specifically out of Jesus' resurrection, to make clearly plain the good news of the gospel so that those who may not know it might hear it, and those who already treasure it might celebrate it. And that's a collective job. It's not just my job. It's our goal this morning to celebrate Jesus, specifically his resurrection. We've been working through this Lent devotional over the last seven weeks. And if you've joined in that process with us, it's been a week-long fast, seven different times. And historically, the church has used this period of Lent in order to fast for a time that we might be able to focus our attention on Jesus and then to come together on Easter Sunday, break that fast alongside one another and feast. You're probably gonna go and eat. You maybe already had a big Easter breakfast, so like feast physically, but also to feast on the glory of Jesus that we've been focusing on while we fast. And so that's what we're gonna do this morning. We're just going to feast on the glory of Jesus and on the good news of the gospel. That gospel is good news for wandering sinners and it is good news for weary saints. It's good news from those who are running from God and it's good news for those who cling to him. The gospel is good news this morning for those who love their sin and it is good news for those this morning who want to hate their sin more deeply. We're going to talk really just kind of about two big ideas this morning. The first is rooted in the fact that Jesus died physically, bodily, but he did not stay dead. That's the resurrection. The second idea is the fact that we, human beings, are dead in our sin without Jesus, and yet we do not have to stay dead in that sin. That's the idea that's called regeneration. Those are fancy words, but they both just have to do with life. New, full abundant, overcoming death kind of life. And so throughout the course of this morning, we're just going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about resurrection. We're going to talk about regeneration. And it would be a waste of everyone's time to do anything else on this morning. Here's what really matters for us. The physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical reality with historical cons- or with eternal consequences and practical significance. The physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical reality. And that reality has eternal consequences and practical significance. And when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, just so we're all on the same page and you know what language I'm using, we're talking about physical, bodily, real life resurrection. Not something that's a metaphor for something else, not something that's like an illustration that we talk about. We're not talking about just a spiritual resurrection that Jesus had. He was dead physically, heart not beating, lungs not breathing, laid inside a tomb, and he physically, bodily came back to life. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that event is a historical reality. That's where I want to start. And I want to start by just reading the passage from the Gospel of Luke, which is what we've been working through. We're going to jump way ahead so we can read this passage. But this is the account of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And rather than me reading it, I'm going to have my friend Jordan read. 
And so she is going to start kind of in the middle of Luke 23. She's going to start in verse 44, and she's going to read through the beginning part of chapter 24. So Jordan, if you would take it away. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a man called Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from a Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told these to the apostle. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Luke 24 tells us about a group of women who show up very early in the morning. Now, y'all don't identify with that. But that's okay. You're more like Peter. Like, you'll still hustle to get there. You just might not be first. There's something that happened in the middle of this, and I I just want us to read it again. So, Jordan, you're not all the way off the hook yet. Oh, you already unmicrophoned yourself. I didn't give you a warning. There you go. Um... If you would just start again in verse 5 of chapter 24, I'll tell you when to stop. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. That's good. Jordan, um, she works in marketing. So like words and punctuation and those kinds of things, those are important to Jordan. Jordan, what punctuation do you have at the end of the last sentence you just read? He has risen, an exclamation mark. (laughs) Exclamation mark. That's right. Give me, uh, just give me that paragraph again. Why are you you looking for the living among the dead? But give it to me with the punctuation. Okay. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. He is risen, yo. Like, that is the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These women showed up to the tomb, and there was 
an angel there. They peeked inside. They see the burial clothes, but Jesus isn't there. And these two guys say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He told you he wasn't going to be here. Thanks for coming to check, but he's not a liar. He has resurrected. He has risen. He's not here. Let me give you the other side of this. If the bodily resurrection of Jesus is not true, if that's not a historical reality, then all of us, and when I say us, I mean those who have placed their faith in Jesus and those who have not placed their faith in Jesus, we are all in big, big trouble. We're in eternal sorts of trouble, absolutely. But we're also in like here in the now kinds of trouble. Because if the resurrection isn't true, then this world and all of its ugliness and all of its brokenness is all that there is. And that is a runaway train that nobody wants to be on. Because it's full of ugliness and brokenness and sin. And its ultimate destination is one of destruction. But if the resurrection is true then there's something more available than the brokenness that we see in the world around us right now. If you're skeptical about Christianity, you're kind of asking yourself some questions about whether or not this whole Jesus thing is true, I'm going to encourage you, start with the resurrection. It all hinges on the resurrection. If Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, physically, bodily, a historical reality, you can write the whole thing off and just move on with your life. But if he did then it all demands some attention. It's all worth looking at. So the question becomes, did it really happen? Is the resurrection of Jesus a historical reality? People have written whole books about this topic. I'm not going to present all the evidence at this time. But if you're skeptical or you're curious, come and find me after the service. Send me an email when you're done watching. And I would love to point you in the direction of some of those resources. I want to give you what I think is the most convincing proof. Jesus is crucified. He's laid inside that tomb. On the third day, he rises. And then for a 40-day period, Jesus appears to numerous people in numerous venues, groups of varying sizes. Sometimes he's inside. Sometimes he's outside. Sometimes he's at a meal. Sometimes it was scheduled by appointment. Sometimes he just shows up in a place. Sometimes it's a one-on-one conversation. Sometimes it's a mass teaching. Hundreds of people saw this bodily resurrected Jesus. And the gospel accounts, at least the earliest forms of it, were written down in the lifetime of those people. And if it hadn't been true, someone would have said, hold on, hold on. These followers of Jesus are selling you a bill of goods. Yeah, the man was a great teacher. Yes, he did some miracles. I witnessed him be crucified. But this resurrection thing is a step too far. They never came forward. No one stepped forward to say this man either didn't die and therefore He's not resurrected, he's just still alive. Or no one stepped forward to say, all these accounts of people seeing Jesus after his death, these never happened. Someone would have. And now some may say that the hope for the truth of the resurrection is to delude oneself for the sake of escaping the hardships of life. And I would contend the opposite. 
that to hope in the resurrection is to take God at his word, is to believe the evidence as it is available, and is not to escape the ugliness and the brokenness of this world, but to see through it to its deepest and truest and most hope-filled realities. The gospel and all of Christianity hinge on the truth of the resurrection, on its historical reality. I'll put it in the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified falsely that he raised up Christ. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. If we've put our hope in Christ for this life only, we are to be pitied more than anyone. But the resurrection... The physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical reality. And that historical reality has soul-saving, reality-transforming, eternal benefits. That's what we're here to celebrate this morning. If those benefits aren't true because the the resurrection didn't actually happen, then there's nothing to celebrate here. We might as well have just gotten together and had a potluck and just enjoyed Sunday and it's beautiful outside. But Jesus' resurrection has eternal benefits. I'm gonna give you 20 of them this morning. This is not an exhaustive list. There is a whole myriad of resurrection benefits. But here are 20 that I think are particularly significant. Number one, because Jesus resurrected, the scriptures were fulfilled and the promises of God came true. Number two, because Jesus resurrected, we have evidence of Jesus keeping his word. And if Jesus kept his word in the act of the resurrection, we can trust that he will ever and always do so. Because Jesus resurrected, he will sit as judge of both living and the dead at the end of all things. Because Jesus resurrected, the free gift of our justification has been secured. Because Jesus resurrected, your sin and the mountain of debt that it put you in before a holy and a righteous God has been wiped entirely clean. Because Jesus resurrected, your life, if you've received God's grace for your salvation, is now hidden with his, which means that when God looks upon you, he sees the righteousness of his son instead of the sinfulness of your humanity. Because Jesus resurrected, the chains of our slavery to sin have been broken. Because Jesus resurrected, the power of sin has been defeated, which means death no longer holds dominion over him or those who are his. Because Jesus resurrected, the primary weapon of Satan has been neutralized. The sting of death has lost its potency. The consequences of sin have been overcome. Because Jesus resurrected, we have a living, breathing, bodily advocate before the throne of God in heaven. And that means that because Jesus resurrected, we can be certain that God hears our prayers. It also means that because Jesus resurrected, the power of God is still available to do the miracles of God according to the will of God. Because Jesus resurrected, we have the joy of his personal, eternal fellowship. Because Jesus resurrected, we can be born again into a life of hope and peace. Because Jesus resurrected, we have the guarantee of one day being resurrected and glorified with him. And that means that because Jesus resurrected, we have a secure hope of glorified bodies, a new heaven, a new earth, and an eternity without the presence of sin and brokenness. Number 20, because Jesus resurrected, our faith is substantial, our proclamation is truthful, and our lives are meaningful. Happy Easter. If you've received the grace of God for the forgiveness of sin, then that list, those are eternal benefits for you. They are yours. 
They ought to raise your heart rate a little bit and stir to life your affections for Jesus. And if you have not received God's grace for the forgiveness of your sin by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, you can do that today. And all of those benefits can become yours right now, right here, today. And they can be yours for eternity. If Jesus did not resurrect, then none of those things are true. But he did. And that means that each and every one of those eternal benefits is a real, rock-solid, eternally secure, practically significant promise that you can stake the fullness of your life upon. In fact, because Jesus did resurrect physically and bodily, I would say that those eternal benefits demand not just a passing glance at Jesus, but the fullness of our lives, the fullness of our hope, the fullness of our souls placed squarely upon him. The physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical reality with eternal consequences and practical significance. Practical significance. There's something that happens in the life of a believer that offers a dim shadow of this resurrection power. It's something that happens in us moments before we place our faith in Christ. I don't mean really minutes before. I I mean literally like milliseconds before you place your faith in Jesus and receive God's grace, there's a resurrection power that takes place inside of you that moves you from death to life. You're regenerated, made new. And that newness means that you get a new heart. You go from a stance of maybe being indifferent toward God or maybe openly antagonistic toward God or maybe just kind of apathetic about him in general to being someone who all of a sudden has these new taste buds that long for him and love him and cherish him and cling to him. Your heart goes from opposed to God to soft and humble before him. That's regeneration. That's the life-changing practical significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna read to you some words from Luke chapter six. They start in verse 43. In Luke six, Jesus is giving a sermon. And this whole sermon is dedicated to Jesus delineating who are my people and who are not. How will everyone know these are my followers and these people are not? And at the end of that sermon, at least the end of what Luke records from it, Jesus says this. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against the house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. Two images, one truth here. There's an image of trees and fruit, and then there's an image of these two different houses that sit on two different foundations. Jesus is pointing out the reality that you will know who his people are based on the fruit and based on the stability of the house. But what is key to both of them 
is that there's an entirely different tree. It's not just that there was a bad tree that then started to grow itself some good fruit and then the good fruit is what made the tree good. There's a bad tree that produces bad fruit and there's a totally different tree that's good and thus produces good fruit. There's a shaky house built on an unstable foundation that when the flood rises and the waters crash against it, that house falls. Then there's a totally different house built on a firm foundation and even the world's worst destruction cannot shake it. Those who are saved by Jesus are first made new by Jesus. Jesus says, you can tell who my people are because their brand new roots bear new fruit. How do you get the new roots? Do you just make them yourself? Do you just work really hard and produce some good fruit and then that good fruit will work its way down to the roots and give you a new plant and new roots? No, you get brand new roots that produce new plants that over time bear new fruit. You can tell who my people are, Jesus says, because their foundation is able to withstand the broken world's attempts at destruction. Well, how do you get that new foundation? Does the rickety old house just build itself a new one and then all of a sudden the whole house is secure? No. Jesus, by his life and his death and his resurrection, sets a secure foundation, then he takes you by the hand and ever so lovingly and gently stands you upon that foundation. Those two images illustrate a point. It's a theological doctrine that we don't talk about a ton, but it's super important, and that doctrine is the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration is the truth that says that a follower of Jesus is someone who has been made new. You've been regenerated or recreated into something different than you were before. You were once a sick, dying, rotten fruit-bearing plant, but now you've got totally new roots. You're a new plant with new fruit. I've been reading a book recently that takes place during the Dust Bowl, and it's set in the north panhandle of Texas, which was kind of the epicenter of the drought there in the 1930s. And it talks about how during that time, the government would, was willing to buy livestock from farmers. For $16, dead or alive, you can give us your livestock and we will pay you. But farmers were trying to get everything they could out of every resource available because living was just very difficult during that time. And so they would hang on to these livestock until they died. And then they would think to themselves, rather than sell it and get the $16, I'll butcher it and get whatever is left from these animals. And they would literally cut open these animals and they were full of dust. Their lungs were full of dust. Their stomachs were full of dust. There was nothing there. Spiritually, apart from Christ, that's the fruit you've got to offer. There's nothing good there. It's decaying, dusty, desolate fruit. But regeneration is the process whereby Jesus makes you completely new. And now you've got new roots that bear new fruit. You were once this wobbly house that stood on an unstable foundation and was subject to collapse due to the world's destructive brokenness. But now you're well built, firmly standing, and you sit on a secure foundation. And that happens in your life in an instant. 
there are parts of the Christian life that play out over the course of a lifetime. There are parts of the Christian life that will play out one day in the future. But regeneration is something that happens in the blink of an eye. You go from dead to alive. You go from opposed to God to being willing to be submissive to God. And you do nothing to create it in and of yourself. It is a gracious work of God. You didn't plant the, or you don't create the new roots that give rise to new fruit. You can't create the new foundation that gives rise to a stable house. The plant couldn't get their own new roots. The tree or the house couldn't get its own new foundation. God has to do that. What's that have to do with Easter and the resurrection? Like regeneration in us, the resurrection happened in an instant. One second Jesus was dead, the next second he was breathing. One second Jesus was wrapped in burial clothes, the next he was dressed in clean white linen. One second Jesus was laying there motionless, the next he was standing up. One second Jesus was there in the tomb with a stone blocking the entrance, and the next second he was rolling it out of the way from the inside. Like regeneration in us, the resurrection was completely a work of God. No one helped God take Jesus from dead to alive, and no one helps God take you from dead to alive. He doesn't need your help to do it. It is resurrection sort of power that moves dead people and makes them alive. The power of God was the only thing capable of raising Jesus from the dead, and it is the only thing capable of taking you from death to life. Regeneration in us is a dim shadow of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He went from death to life in an instant thanks to the work and the power of God. And at our regeneration, we go from death to life in an instant thanks to the powerful work of God. And then the fruit of a Christian life flows from having been made new. We're not made new by something that we do, but by something that God and God alone can and does do. Something he does in an instant. And scripture from beginning to end uses all sorts of metaphors and word pictures and illustrations to talk about what this looks like in the life of a believer. It talks about us being given a new heart, removes this heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. It talks about us receiving this new spiritual life, having being given a renewed mind. It talks about our tastes changing, our idea of satisfaction changing, our understanding of the world and its values changing, our priorities changing, our foundation moving from shifting to stable. And then over time, our new roots give rise to new fruit. None of that happens without us being made new in an instant by God. And so Jesus is able to say, you'll know who my people are because their new roots will bear new fruit. Their foundation will be with able to withstand the worst of the world's destruction. Because Jesus resurrected from the dead, you can be made new today. Resurrected, dead to alive. All the practical implications of the resurrection can be yours. All the eternal gifts of the resurrection can be yours. Because Jesus resurrected from the dead, brothers and sisters in Christ, you have been made new. All the gifts, the eternal benefits of that resurrection are yours. All the practical implications of that resurrection are yours. It would not be good news if the gospel said, here's what you have to do to make yourself good enough to be saved. Bear yourself some new fruit and then Jesus will save you. 
That's not good news. That's a load that would be too heavy for any human being to ever possibly bear. And yet many of us live like that. We see Jesus on the cross, understand that he died for us. And then we try to just upgrade ourselves into a better picture of his image. As if what Jesus really wants is Tim Fritz in 2.0 instead of 1.0. And so I work to kind of upgrade my operating system a little bit and get shiny on the outside. I'm still dead on the inside. God doesn't want the upgraded version of your broken self. He wants the new version of you that he can create by his resurrection power at work inside of you. He wants not the dead upgraded version of you, but the alive new version of you. And his resurrection does that work inside of you. And once you're made new, the foundation is stable. Once you're made new, the good fruit flows naturally out of those good roots. My wife is a plant lady, like an aggressive plant lady. Our home is part house for humans and part rehabilitation center for lost, wayward, dying, and diseased plants. Melody Fritzen does not just go to the nursery and come home with like healthy and thriving, ready to be loved, fiddle leaf figs or geraniums. She goes to the nursery and comes out with the sickest looking, half dead, clinging to life, deeply discounted, sorry excuse for a living thing plant that she can find. And then she walks in our front door with it and smiles at me. And I think to myself, we're doing this again? And then with an alarming success rate, she sets about the work required to bring these plants back to life. She repots virtually all of them. She researches the right kind of soil temperature that they need, the right sorts of moisture that they need, what kind of light do they need. Then she tends to them every single day. We've had more plants in our bathroom because moisture is really good for this kind of plant and showers create good steam. We've had more of those than I can count. And yet, our home right now is full of healthy, thriving plants. Understand, the plant can't do any of that. The plant can't repot itself. The, the plant can't pick itself up and change its environment. It cannot trim itself. It cannot water itself. It cannot check on itself. And the illustration isn't perfect, but I think it paints a fair picture of what Jesus does in the life of his people. Jesus came to this earth not for the healthy, put together, getting it all right human beings because there are none of those. Jesus came here for the dead, clinging to the end of their rope, sorry excuse for a living thing, human beings who are willing to acknowledge that that's what they are and he came smiling for us. And then he went to the cross willingly for us, hung there in our place, our sin becoming his, our punishment becoming his, that his righteousness might become ours, that his rewards might become ours. And now his household is full of newly made alive, thriving human beings who are not upgraded versions of their broken selves, but who are completely made new. And then over the course of a lifetime, we stand firm on the secure foundation of Jesus and we bear new fruit out of those new roots. Because Jesus resurrected, we are made new. That's the good news of the gospel. That good news can be yours this morning. That good news, brothers and sisters in Christ, is what we must rely upon the Holy Spirit to walk out in our lives. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, received him as your savior, 
my encouragement to you this morning is to stop living like you're the one that has to make the newness happen and start living as though Jesus has already brought it to life in you. Rely on the presence of the Holy Spirit because the same power that took Jesus from death to life has taken you from dead to alive. And that power is the power by which that new fruit will spring forth in your life. It's available only ever and always through the gospel. That's the good news of Easter. That's the good news of the resurrection. Brian, you guys can come up. Over the course of the last few weeks as we've been looking at this sermon from Jesus and we've been talking about his moral commands, we've taken a look at the example that Jesus gives of them in his life. We've talked about how he fulfills them in his death at um, his crucifixion. Then we've looked at the resurrection and how the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us to live those things out. And then we've taken a peek into the future each time. And that's where I want us to end this morning. That resurrection power that brought Jesus from death to life, that takes God's people from dead to alive, is going to do one more powerful recreating work in the life of his people. And that's going to happen when Jesus comes back a second time. He's not coming back a second time wrapped in swaddling cloths, gentle and humble in a field outside of Bethlehem. He's coming back a second time, robed in splendor, riding on a white horse, and he will be triumphant fully and finally and eternally over Satan and all of sin. And in that moment, God's people are going to be made new again. You will get a glorified body, not subject to the brokenness of this world. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and there will be no sin present in that place. And we will gather there around the throne and worship the resurrected, physically, bodily present, bodily present son of God for all of eternity. And we will do so in our newly created glorified bodies. And so on Easter, when we gather together, we celebrate the miracle by looking back at the tomb and seeing it empty. The resurrecting power of God who took Jesus from death to life. We see its dim shadow inside of those who know Jesus and remember that he took us from death to life. And then we look forward and we remember that that bodily resurrected Savior is coming back one more time and he will be triumphant over sin fully and finally and we will get new bodies yet again. And God's resurrecting power will glorify us for all of eternity and we'll spend it in the presence of Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel on Easter Sunday. Amen. The power of God to physically resurrect his son has eternal benefits and practical significance. It is a historical reality that changed everything for God's people for all of eternity. And when he comes back again, it will change us into our glorified state. And we will be new and in his presence for an infinite number of days. When we gather together on Easter, we sing the truth of the last song we sang before I came up here. We sing the truth of that song, death was arrested. Our savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began from death to life, the resurrection of Jesus, the regeneration of his people, and one day, the glorification of his people. Let's pray, and then we'll close in celebration and song together. 
God, thank you. Thank you for your son, his work on the cross on our behalf. Thank you that Jesus, though sinless in and of himself, was willing to take the sin of his people upon his shoulders and bear it on the cross. Thank you that he was willing to fill my place, absorb my punishment, that I might receive his righteousness, that I might receive his benefits. God, as we celebrate the resurrection today, I pray that we would see in it the power that you have and the power that only you have to bring that which is dead to life, to take that which is old and make it new, to take that which is rotten, give it new roots, and have it bear new fruit. God, would we, your people, walk in that newness of life, allow your power to bring that new fruit to bear in our lives. God, and would we do so that the world might see the power and the splendor and the majesty and the glory of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you're able, let's stand and worship together.